This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. In 2023, the nation stopped to watch a penalty shootout for the ages. The FIFA Women's World Cup brought record crowds and burst a new generation of Matilda's fans. Oh my God, best night of my life. Best night of my freaking life. My jersey's somewhere. My jersey's somewhere. Oh my God, I love Across Australian sport, it was a year littered with World Cup wins. The Dummies have done it. They are the world champions. And Australia win the World Cup for the sixth time and in front of 120,000 people. And some seismic shifts on pay, funding and fans. Today, Guardian Australia sport reporting team on the year that women changed Australian sport forever. It's Wednesday, the 20th of December. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Joe Kahn, assistant sport editor, welcome to the end of your sport wrap. Hello. And Jack Snape, sport reporter, welcome. Hello. So we're looking at the year in sport and normally I would ask you what you thought the top sports story of the year was, but I think that's pretty clear judging by what our readers tuned into and what all of Australia tuned into. It's the Matildas and the World Cup campaign, right? Yeah, I think if you weren't aware of the Women's World Cup this year, then, I mean, I have no idea what you were doing, but it must have been pretty good. Um, Just the football itself was incredible. The Matildas made it to the semifinals. They finished in fourth place, ultimately losing that third place playoff. But the standard of the football was incredible across the whole tournament. And we saw breakout performances from some of the younger Matildas as well as People that we already knew, like Sam Kerr, who was obviously a superstar. She came back from injury to make a few appearances. But really it was the, the, the impact that the tournament as a whole had on the country. I mean, there was a global impact as well, but because we were hosting it, everyone just got behind the Matildas and really fell in love with them. And it, they brought people to, to women's football who hadn't even been sport fans before. It was just a sort of monumental impact that they had. Right. It feels like a fever dream now. I spent a few weeks there just planning my days and weeks around going to the pub to watch these games. (laughs) But you guys actually got to go to some of the games. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, we we both went to a few. Um, my highlight was getting to witness that penalty shootout. I mean, it it was one of the most amazing sport experiences I've ever had. Just the crowd and the tension of that penalty shootout. I, I'm not sure I'll ever top that. That was an amazing night. Uh, Joe and I were up at Brisbane uh, to watch that match. And of all the events I've been to this year, I've been lucky to go to all the grand finals. Um, I think that game in Brisbane is the standout, not only for the way that, uh, you know, the crowd erupted when Courtney Vine hit that penalty, but also in the aftermath, sharing that experience with people on the street, at the airport, in the months since, I don't know whether there's ever going to be an event like that in Australian sport, you know, that I went to, that I'll be able to share it like that again. Mm. One of the amazing things to come out of the World Cup is that the Matildas players themselves have become household names and not just Sam Kerr. You know, people know who Ellie Carpenter is. People know who Courtney Vine is. I mean, what has happened to some of these names since the World Cup of their stars continued to rise? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the best examples of that, which some of the players have spoken about since, is that after that penalty shootout, the Matilda's goalkeeper, Mackenzie Arnold, became, you know, an overnight sensation. Mm. And she now can no longer walk down the street, well, in Australia at least, without being recognised and stopped for for photos and autographs and things. And then sort of on the other side of that, off the, the success of their performances, a lot of the Matilda's players went back to their clubs, mostly in um, Europe, some in the States, and have just been, you know, performing really well. And We've seen some of the younger players like Mary Fowler, who was a new name to many, seeing her in the World Cup, and also Kyra Cooney-Cross, who was in the midfield there with Katrina Gorey. Both phenomenal performances at the World Cup and they've since gone back to their clubs and have been given more game time, more opportunities to improve, and that's just going to benefit the Matildas, you know, and Matildas fans in the long run. So that's another really great positive. A lot of people spoke about the World Cup as this kind of turning point not just for women's football, but also for sport in Australia for women as a whole. Has that proven true? In many ways, Lauren, it has proven true, if only for the example of the Matildas, the the cultural cut through they have now, uh, but also they're getting greater awareness of their actual achievements on the field. You know, Sam Kerr's performance in the English Women's Super League, Kyra Cooney-Cross's emergence for Arsenal this season has been a really great story as well. And so you're starting to see these stories at, at the back end of news bulletins, you know, women's football highlights that you wouldn't have seen previously. Mm. But it is much more complicated than this because I think the Matildas, um, they took advantage or they were benefits of, you know, being in many ways in the right place at the right time. I think the Australian community was ready to support women's athletes and they were given this great opportunity to experience this World Cup with the Matildas and the Matildas have benefited. If you look just a few years ago, the Australian women's cricket team, they also secured amazing crowds for their World Cup in Australia, but it didn't quite have the same cut through. And there are reasons for that. You know, it might be that COVID came afterwards to interrupt that momentum, but it did feel like this year was a turning point. The big question is how much does it flow through to other sports, to domestic sports? How much can this Matilda's bump be maintained? The Football Australia, uh, for example, they really put a lot of effort into extracting as much federal and state government funding Mm. for women's football out of this World Cup tournament. 
Um, they, they kind of boast that there are, uh, I think, close to $400 million of funding that, that was pledged by state and federal governments. And there was obviously that uh, signature Albanese government announcement of $200 million for women's sport, much of which will go to football. The question is really what more can we do to support women athletes? And that's still something that we don't have the answer for. 2023 has given us a hint, but we don't know what the future holds. Right. The common catch cry was, if you enjoyed the World Cup, then go see an A-League game in Australia. Did that happen though? It, it did at first. When So when the season, the new season of the A-League women started, there were actually record crowds at several games and across the whole round as a whole, which was pretty exciting. A lot of that was off the back of Courtney Vine, the penalty shootout winner for the Matildas, playing for Sydney FC. A lot of fans came along to see her. I think there was 12,000 people or something at the Sydney game, which was a record. And there was record attendances across the whole round, that opening round. Uh, Crowds have maybe dropped back a a little bit since then, but there still is increased interest compared to previous seasons. And we've seen that in terms of just membership numbers across the different clubs. But there have also been challenges. And what some people were a little concerned about during the World Cup was that the A-League women might not be quite ready to capitalise on the success of the Matildas or on the on the success of the tournament in the way that the Matildas were. And, you know, we've kind of seen that in pitch issues that have arisen. There was one game that had to be completely postponed to another date and, and moved to a different venue because they couldn't find a suitable pitch. And, you know, that's something that's not really acceptable in a, in a professional competition. And there's also been a spate of um, ACL injuries as well, serious knee injuries. And while it's kind of hard to pinpoint where those are coming from, it just it kind of highlights that the, the league is perhaps not quite in the best position to, to really benefit from this Matilda's bump. Looking more globally, the World Cup was also a flashpoint for conversations around gender equality in sport. And this really came to the fore after the grand final, where the then president of the Spanish Football Federation, Luis Rubiales, planted a kiss on the lips of Spain forward Jenny Hermoso during the medal ceremony. She said it was not consensual. He claims it was. Joe, we spoke to you about this at the time. What was the fallout in that story in the end? So ultimately, Rubialis was banned from all football-related activities for three years. So that was by by FIFA after a disciplinary committee investigation into his conduct at the World Cup. So that was kind of, I guess, put aside for a little while after that result came out. But then more recently, we've heard from the Football Association, which is in uh, England, uh, claiming that Rubialis also kissed English player Lucy Bronze and... Uh, made sort of inappropriate um, gestures and touching towards other England players on that stage after the World Cup final. Mm. He has denied that and and said that those claims are absolutely disgusting. But uh, whether or not that, you know, goes further or plays into uh, his sanctions, we don't know yet. Mm. What did this moment mean for some of these conversations that we're having around women's sport? Well, I think it was... It was really heartbreaking. Like the the moment itself was very shocking to witness for a lot of people. And I think 
what was most heartbreaking was that what was an incredible achievement uh, by the Spanish team, like they had a wonderful World Cup. They were, you know, they really deserved to win and and the, the World Cup final, they just outplayed England without a doubt. And so when we should have been celebrating these women and, and women in sport in general and also just celebrating what a success the tournament as a whole was, instead we were focused on this man and, you know, the allegations that were made against him and this whole issue. And I think what that really highlighted was that even on the biggest stage for sport, for women, there are still you know, so many challenges that that women have to overcome in their workplace, really. And so I think that was just, it was very disappointing and just showed that there's still a long way to go. For sure. Okay, we do have to move away from the World Cup at some point. This was an incredible year for sport, but particularly women's sport in Australia. What were some of the other really big successes that we saw throughout the year, Jack? Well, the women's cricket team did extraordinarily well. Uh, they retained the Ashes, um, although not without some difficulty against England. Uh, they also won the T20 World Cup earlier in the year in South Africa. There were really two major results there. There was a semi-final win over India, and then they uh, beat the hosts in the final. And Meg Lanning in the semi-final scored 49 not out uh, off 34 balls. It was a, a typical Meg Lanning innings um, at the time, you know, something we expect from you know, then Australia's captain. But it's kind of taken on new meaning in the wake in the last few months as we've uh, discovered Meg's really been suffering um, some uh, difficult mental health challenges that have prompted her to step away from the game and mm. um, hand over the captaincy. I can't be half in or half out with anything and... Uh, I guess that's that's where I've landed with this decision is that I, I, I no longer have the, the spark or um, motivation to do what needs to, to happen at, at this level. So a really important moment there for Lanning and, and the team. Beth Mooney was also brilliant in that tournament. But yeah, apart from that, the Diamonds, they won the Netball World Cup. They, I think, lost to England early in the tournament, then avenged that uh, result in a final which was a terrific victory for them. Right. What about the domestic league, so NRL or AFL? It's been a really interesting time in uh, domestic footy. Uh, we're talking about the uh, NRLW has expanded and uh, TV ratings are actually going great for NRLW. They had a sensational result in the grand final, Newcastle Knights winning their first title, Gold Coast Titans were in their first grand final. That was a spectacular match held before the men's NRL grand final. And that's a controversial topic, whether the women should have their own grand final day or not. But on that occasion, 30 or 40,000 people enjoyed that climax to that season. NRLW going really well. AFLW, positive signs. Uh, crowds in Sydney, Adelaide and Brisbane are improving, but maybe not as high as the players and, and the game would certainly want. So more work to do for AFLW in terms of scheduling the season, uh, when matches are played, what venues they're held at to make sure the players are looked after as well as the fans. Uh, but the AFLW did finish on a great note when the Brisbane Lions won the grand final uh, at Icon Park against North Melbourne. Yes. Sensational atmosphere, about 13,000 fans there. So lots to build on uh, for AFLW as well. 
Right. I mean, women have dominated a lot of headlines throughout this year, but a lot of the fandom in Australia still does revolve around men's sport and there were some really amazing achievements throughout the year on this as well. What were some of the big highlights of 2023? Uh, So the men's cricket team continued to dominate. They won the World Test Championship against India, which was actually played in England um, in the middle of the year. And then they retained the Ashes, not without drama. Oh, now this is going to be interesting. Johnny Bairstow's walked out of his crease here. This could well be out. There was a saga involving uh, English wicketkeeper Johnny Bairstow when when he was batting and he was stumped by Alex Carey. Um, We don't have to go into all those details, but there was, you know, traditional Ashes drama, that's for sure. And then they went straight on to the World Cup in India, the 50-over format. Everybody here is on their feet. ultimately playing the hosts, India, in the final, which Australia won. So I I think going into that, they weren't necessarily expecting the win or as confident as they they might have been in the past. But, you know, they just added that to their tally for the year and and now looking towards the the tests for summer. Yeah, that cricket final was extraordinary. Um, You know, the build-up drama uh, around uh, the Narendra Modi Stadium and defeating the... uh, the home side. Uh, but apart from that, it's hard to go past Ange Postacoglu, the Australian coach, doing amazing things in Europe. The last year has, has seen him move from Celtic in the Scottish League, where he was successful winning the title there, moving to Premier League, to the club uh, Tottenham, London club, seen generally as a bit of a laughing stock, you know, consistent underperformers. But he's come in there, he's won over the fans, mm-hmm. he's playing incredible attacking football that even when he loses, he's getting compliments. For people who haven't followed Ange Postacoglu's career, why is this so significant for him to be coaching overseas? Is this kind of one of the big success stories in terms of Australian football then being exported internationally. Is that why people are so fascinated with this story? Yeah. So I guess the connection goes all the way back to he's been coaching in Australia or playing and coaching in Australia for a long time. And he was the Socceroos manager for a long time. And so I think that that is the significance is just sort of seeing his rise because he is the first Australian to coach in the English Premier League. And it's, that's, you know, it's a huge stage. That's no small feat. And he's worked his he's worked his way up there and has really strong ties to the football community in Australia. And I think that's why it resonates so much. And I think the other thing is that, you know, each week we see these sand grabs of, of Ange in his press conferences after the games and you're hearing this Australian voice. Yeah, thanks for that, mate. I'll, 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 just, I'll just float out of here, you know, feeling good about myself. He's a little bit ocker and he says mate at the end of every sentence. <laughs> I don't think it works that way, mate. It's not, um, you know, it's not my wife handing me a shopping list to go down and get some milk and bread for the kids. There's something kind of unusual about, about hearing him, or, you know, hearing that accent in this context, which I think has captivated both Australians and the, the global audience as well because they're just not used to it. You've had some unbelievably fantastic managers big names, successful, and then there's you, Ange. 
you know. So, and then, and then have I ever heard of Robbie Williams? Where have I been living, mate? Next, the sporting moments you won't want to miss in 2024. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here with a quick note about The Guardian. As you're probably aware, Guardian Australia's journalism is editorially independent, meaning we set our own agenda. We don't have a billionaire owner, nor do we answer to shareholders, so we're free from commercial bias. And this independence matters because it means we're able to challenge the powerful and hold them to account. Unlike many news organisations, we have not put up a paywall. We chose a model that means our reporting is open to everyone and funded by our readers who can afford to pay. Every contribution, whether big or small, counts. If you're able to contribute and have a minute, head to theguardian.com forward slash support full story. We've also linked to this on the full story page. Thanks. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. So... In last year's end-of-year sport wrap, the 2022 end-of-year sport wrap, I was warned by Mike Heitner that the Women's World Cup was coming and that I would need to buy tickets in advance because they would sell out, and I did not, which was one of my biggest regrets of the past year. So I'm wondering if we can talk about the sporting moments that are coming up in 2024 that people should keep an eye out for and maybe also buy tickets well in advance for. What are they? Well, the biggest one, which if you are planning to get tickets for, good for you, that's really exciting, but it's not here. It's in mm. Paris and that's the Olympics. Wow. So that will be the biggest event on the calendar, the sporting calendar next year for sure. And, you know, our swimmers will be uh, there at the top of their game. They'll be pushing for the gold medals again in the pool. And the Matildas will hopefully be there. They still have to qualify. They've got a couple of games in February, which if they can get through those, they'll be at the games as well and, and hoping to beat their fourth place finish from Tokyo. So that's sort of the the marquee event. But, you know, there's also the summer of cricket still to come, maybe not quite as, as big as the cricketing achievements from this year in terms of World Cups and, and, and Ashes, but, you know, still Pakistan and, and West Indies touring Australia. And in January, we have the Australian Open in Melbourne. We're expecting Carlos Alcaraz to continue his uh, emergence in men's tennis. And there's also Naomi Osaka among many stars on the women's side. 
and Nick Kyrgios won't be playing, but uh, we're expecting to hear from him in the commentary box. But also... It'll be great to see what else comes up, not only on the uh, the Olympics, but also the Paralympics. There are great stories there, like Lauren Parker, who won the World mm. Championships in both paratriathlon and paracycling this year. And so, yeah, just can't wait to get into some of those stories as we um, experience more of, of the Olympics and Paralympics next year. We should, should say, though, that the Matildas will be playing one game in Australia in February, so there's a chance for tickets there. You won't just be covering events and games next year. There's also some really big cultural shifts going on behind the scenes in Australian sport. How are you expecting those to, to play out next year? Plenty to report next year in sport, that's for sure. In the AFL, we've got a new regime down at AFL uh, HQ. Andrew Dillon's the new CEO. And we're interesting to see how he stamps his authority on the game. The NRL is actually launching its 2024 season in Las Vegas uh, in March, which is prompting a few people to wonder exactly how much sports betting means to the code. Mm. So that'll be one to monitor. The other thing that we've seen come to the forefront in sport in recent years, most sports have really struggled to negotiate pay deals between the organisations and players. And a lot of that is due to the expanding role of women's codes, of more seasons, more professional uh, conditions. Ultimately, the public, as we've seen with the Matildas, the Australian cricket team, they now expect women athletes performing at the highest levels in Australia. Yet at the same time, we haven't really seen the same broadcast dollars being thrown at these competitions. We haven't quite yet, with a few exceptions, seen really high crowds. And so what it means now is we're kind of in a state of transition where women athletes in Australia are having to make huge sacrifices to meet the expectations of the public. You know, you look at something like the NRLW and this is a season that runs for six months. The players are just paid for that. But players might have to pick up their whole life and move to a different city for six months just in order to make, you know, ultimately minimum wage and create this product that the Australian public's uh, expecting, you know, women athletes to deliver. So in this difficult period, these pay disputes come to the fore and, and really show that Australians really need to get out and, and support women athletes as much as they can. Right. On that, I mean, we spoke earlier about how the rosy predictions about women's sport and even around things like the A-League in Australia haven't all completely come true. What can people do in 2024 to get behind women's sport? Well, it's it's pretty simple, really. Uh, they need bums on seats and people watching the broadcast. And, you know, that's really what's going to drive growth, you know, engage with the content, engage with the players, subscribe, uh, all those sorts of things, buy, buy merchandise. Buy a jersey. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's where it all starts and that's how it can grow. Often sports need to see the interest before they invest. 
that's not necessarily the best way to go about things, but that is how they're doing it, certainly in terms of the AFLW and, and the NRLW. They want to see that the market's there before they invest in it. And so it's just a matter of continuing to show up and show interest. Joe, Jack, thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Laura. Thanks, Laura. That was Assistant Sport Editor Joe Kahn and Sport Reporter Jack Snape. This episode was produced, sound designed and mixed by Daniel Simo. The executive producer is Hannah Parks. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.